Amen. If you have your Bibles, join me in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, we'll begin in verse 9 through 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. We're in a series called Why I Love Jesus. And our goal is to fall more and more in love with Him that Number one, people could see what is that joy, what's the reason for the hope that you have in you. And then two, then we can begin to share uh, what that hope is, why I love Jesus. So it's, it's more about falling in love with him again, but also letting other people know uh, how awesome uh, our God is. And this morning, I want to talk to you about number two is why I love Jesus is because he first loved. He first loved and uh, really, if I had a second title, I would call it Born Into Love this morning. But uh, if you've ever been in a dating or a marriage relationship, you might be able to relate to this about being pursued. Likely, one of the two of you at that moment uh, probably was pursuing the other. Maybe you were the pursuer, or maybe you were the one who was being pursued. But uh, likely that someone looked at you, or got your number, or made the first call, or made the first advances... Uh, and uh, if you're a husband or a wife here this morning, you can kind of look at each other and, and, and think about that. Who, who, uh, who made the first move? Uh, when I was, uh, Beth and I were 16, uh, really we were 15 at the time, uh, I liked her and she had liked me. And we'd gone to the same church, same high school and all of that. But here's the, the catch was one of my best friends also liked Beth. And so he would come, we'd go working together after school every day, and he'd be talking about, man, you know, she's so pretty and she's so nice, and I'm thinking, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm secretly kind of going for this girl, but yet he's talking about her to me. He's like, I'm going to ask her over, and I'm going to do this, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, what? I'm a good best friend, all right? I'm not going to do that to my bro. He's going to, you, okay, go for it, man. I'm not going to do that. Our friendship, you know, you, you've said that to yourself. My friendship is so much more important. Well, look who's married now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so he began to, like, ask her over, and she, they would have these, uh, they would ask the whole family over to a barbecue or whatever, and they were on a farm, and the little, little baby pigs would be born, and they'd come over and see the pigs, and, and, you know, man, she came over, and her family came over, and da da da, da. Well, she didn't have a clue what he was doing. Uh, in her mind, he was just a good guy and a good friend, and she was a lot taller uh, I had to grow up to catch up to Beth. If you've ever seen my wife, she's very tall. Uh, you know, he was a lot shorter, and she wasn't even, it was like, oh, he's just a good guy, he's just a good friend. And so finally, one day, somebody had to clue her in. You know why he's always talking to you and asking you, and all, he's wanting to date you. And she's like, oh, no, no way, not, there's no way. And so long story short, once he found out it was never going to happen, uh, this guy started pursuing her, and then uh, little by little, you know, one day it happened, and we went out at 16 years old. But she had no clue she was being pursued until someone who pers- uh, until she was interested in the one who was pursuing her. Did you catch that this morning? She was not interested in the first person who was pursuing her. But when this stud asked her out, right, she, uh, she said yes uh, because it was meant to be or whatever, you know. Um, but I thought about that, thinking about that in, in the Christian context, right? There are millions and millions of people around the world who do not know or are not interested in that they are being pursued by God Almighty. 
that God has been pursuing them since the beginning and that every day He is longing for them and for a relationship with Him. And because we're not interested in Him, or we don't see Him as appealing, or we just think, oh, it's just a fringe, I just want to be a friend kind of relationship. God is so interested in having a relationship with every man, woman, boy, and girl. He is pursuing you, sir or ma'am, today. But it's our uh, response that's going to make all the difference. Do I receive the love that is pursuing me? Millions are denying His advances and not loving in return. But for those who recognize that love and are interested in it and receive it, they are then changed by it. Uh, we would be changed. You, when, you, when you get in a relationship with a person, you, whether you want it to be or not, you realize over years later you are changed by being in a relationship with that person. You know, that's what they say, like, two old people and their dog. They all three look alike. You know, it's like, after a while, you become like that person. You, you are more in tune with that person. You can finish each other's sentences. That love that was once pursuing you, once you receive it and adopt it as your own and then reciprocate that love, there is a change that happens there. And I want to talk to you uh, today about this idea of first love. The idea of being loved before you ever knew you were being pursued. Uh, and so you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. We love because He first loved. And what does that mean? And are we in awe of a God who pursued us first? 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 19. By this, the love of God was manifested. Everybody say manifested manifested in where us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're going to look at that word in a second. And then he verse 19, we love because he first loved us. This is love, he says. This is love that he first loved. Uh, John is there. He's looking at this kind of a big word, propitiation. And what does that mean? When you and I were far off from God, separated and undone because of the curse of sin in the garden, that we were separated with God without hope, we were under the ignorance uh, uh, of sin and the blindness of the enemy, that we were uh, continually falling into the foolishness of our own uh, situations. We were separated, unable to be righteous or in right standing with God on our own. There was nothing good we could ever do to please God. Our holiness, our righteousness, Isaiah would say, would be like filthy rags, that it would be so far removed from being close to God, it's not even funny, that there was nothing you could do to get close to God. In fact, there was really nothing yet God could do to be close to you, that there was a barrier. And it wasn't an easy thing, but God had to deal with it. There was something that would separate Him from pursuing you, uh, and he did this, this big deal that we're talking about this morning. Uh, he didn't overlook it, but he dealt with it. And it was simply this. Jesus had to appease the wrath of God. A, a man had died. A man had died to sin and died with sin and died in sin. Adam. 
and, and there had to be a perfect sacrifice. It wasn't the, the, the blood of lambs or goats could only go so far, but what was really needed was a perfect a lamb, a perfect man, for, because a perfect man had sinned on this side in the garden. But now we need a perfect man to undo it, but there was no one perfect. No one in the whole world had ever not sinned, nor, uh, nor would ever not sin, but there was one guy, God would send his only son as a man, God in the flesh, born into the flesh as a man, full of the Holy Spirit, fully God and fully man. And he would deal with this separation so that God could pursue us. And this word simply means, this big word, propitiation, simply means atonement or making a sacrifice. It means that God had to bring a substitute for us, when we couldn't pay the debt that was owed, we couldn't die uh, and be born again and raised to new life. We had no power in us. There was no way to get out of the predicament we were in. So Jesus had to become the substitute. He had to make a sacrifice for us. He had to pay our debt, our ransom, and so that we might in him have favor again with God. That's the gospel. That God so loved the world... He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it says that He, he manifested this first, that you were separated, undone. He found a way to find you. He found a way to pursue you. And it was manifested first. Before you ever knew about God's love, it was already pursuing you. Think about that. Before you ever knew about it, it was already pursuing you. I look what Paul says in Ephesians 1.45, he says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will. I have been blown away this week by that verse right there. That means, listen, that means when God was still in time eternal in the infinity of darkness, where there was really no darkness, no light. It was just God. That before he ever spoke anything to existence, before he ever formed anything with his hands, before he ever ordered the stars in the sky, it says that he already loved you. He already thought about you. He had already planned your life out. He had already looked into eternity in the future and said, I will be with them forever. I so love them. You know, and as a, as a human, it's kind of hard for me to grasp that, that like, God, there's nothing really special about me. There, what is it about man that you are mindful of him, Psalm says, that, that what is it about us? But it says that before he ever formed the foundation of the world, he loved you. He was pursuing you just like that boy would pursue that girl without her even noticing before she ever knew of his intentions. He had already been thinking about her. He'd already thought, how am I going to get to her? How am I going to talk to her the first time? And can you imagine that, that God is thinking every time a, a baby is born? Think about it. I have been waiting billions of years to see this child laugh, to hear this child's voice, to hear them call my name in prayer, to, to have them join me in a worship service. That I have been waiting billions of years in advance for this one soul. Do you realize how loved you are? And I don't think many millions around the world have no idea how loved they are by God. That you have been pursued. And how should that make me feel that, God, I'm so worried at, at the future of my life. I'm so worried about my finances. I'm so, and he's thinking, child, 
Billions of years ago, I knew you. Billions of years ago, I was ready to pursue you. Can you think about it? That he would form the dust and he would speak the stars and he would order time and he would set the garden. He's thinking about you in 2019. And he would uh, call this man and call that man and order this people and call Israel and multiply and send them to the world. He's thinking about you in 2019. And he's doing this and he puts his son on the cross. And when his son's on the cross, who do you think his son was thinking about in 2019? He was thinking about you. Because before the foundation of the world, God was anticipating getting to know you. He first loved. He first loved. And that word for love here is agape love. It is a God-like love. It, that word in the Greek is, is a divine love. It is a selfless unnatural. It's not a human uh, nature to love this way. It is a love that is easily taken advantage of. It is a love that makes the first sacrifice with the hopes that somebody then would love in return. There's no kind of guarantee for that love. It's that whosoever might believe, whosoever would, that God so loved the world that, that we might, that we would receive the advances of his pursuit. You know, there's a lot of uh, guys get shot down by girls, you know, like they, they're shooting for the stars and man, she's out of my league and I want, you know, I'd love to see if this works out. And it's a hope there. And God is hoping and praying and pleading that you would be in right relationship with him for billions of years ago. In a timeless past, he thought of you. He so loved you with an agape love. Paul perhaps says it best in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's where John says, and this is real love, that although we didn't love him, he loved us. Maybe you've had a broken heart before in your life. Maybe you did try to go uh, get to know someone or maybe someone in a, in a relationship did break your heart. You pursued them with your love, but they didn't love back in return. And think about what God must feel for all the millions and all the people, maybe even in this room, that he says, I, I think about you a lot. I really think about you a lot. I've, I've always wanted to be in relationship with you. And we go about our day, and we get our careers, and we do our jobs, and we buy our things. And he's just so, but, but, but do you know, I've been thinking about you for millennia and millennia. Before you ever knew me, before you ever breathed the first breath, how do you respond to a love like that? I hope we're amazed by it because we don't know love until we know God. And that Christ has become this perfect demonstration 
of his love for you. He couldn't tell you. You didn't understand. It's kind of like that big moment where the, the boy gets the, you know, maybe he, he rents a, a singing telegram or he, he gets some kind of big flower bouquet and he puts it at their office door. Or he puts a favorite song on the radio or maybe he hires a plane or something to write a banner in the sky. I mean, it's that big moment where he says, okay, I'm taking a risk here. I'm taking a leap of faith. She's never really received my advances before. I don't think she even knows I exist, but I'm going to go all out. I'm, I'm taking my $500 out of my bank account. I'm cashing it in. And hey, guess what, guys? I'm going all in and this is it. I'm laying all my chips on the table and she's either going to recognize me and go on a date with me or I guess it's over. And that moment for God is saying, I'm going to send my son, my only person who could be walking among them as of them and show them who I am. That The Bible says that we beheld him in the fullness of grace and love and truth, that it's that's him. It's We recognize that this is God and his love for us. And so he demonstrates it, that while we're still sinners, he dies for you and for me. The big moment. And so how do you respond to this kind of love? Do you go to church? Is that good? You give some money in the plate because that's, ooh, thank you, Lord, for loving me billions of years ago. Hallelujah, Jesus. Do you sing a song and a certain Sunday when you feel led to show up? No. How do you respond? I mean, what, do you, what could you possibly do to respond to a love like that? Let me give you three words, faith, hope, and love. And this response, I feel, is the only adequate response that Scripture says for us. The first one is faith and hope. In 1 John 4, 16, and then between verses there, he says, We've come to know, everybody say no, no, and have believed the love which God has for us. John's saying, hey, there's a group of us, we now believe and know it, we've responded, we, we see what he's been doing, and now we get it, and we responded to what we know about it, that Jesus Christ died, and God so loved us, and he's always loved us, he first loved us. And so we believe and know it, and we respond to it, and uh, it's kind of like this, when uh, you get married or into a relationship, that person has pursued you, Right? And then you probably give in and say, okay, well, I'll take a risk. I'll go on a date with this him or her, and I'll go to the movies, and they'll buy me something. Maybe it's the first little bracelet or ring or a teddy bear they want at the carnival or whatever. And then you then buy them something. And as you begin to talk in this relationship and see if it's going to work, uh, you get to hear things about them. And they probably tell you things about who they are and where they used to live and what they're going to do in life. And then you begin to tell them. And there's this uh, mutual sharing of who they are. And finally... Whether you don't know, I guess you don't know if he's telling you the truth or, or not, but you begin to believe them, right? I mean, you're going on like 10, 12, 13, 14 dates with this person, and, and you begin to trust what they're going to say. And then one day, maybe you get married, and years go by, and how much more do you trust this person? You know, I, I don't really uh, doubt when my wife tells me, Heath, hey, we need some milk. Can you pick some up on the way home? I trust her word. If she says, hey, you know, uh, this is what we need to do or how we're going to do it or whatever, I, I trust her word because why? I've received her love. I know her love. I believe in her love. And I trust her in what she says. So I believe and know her love. And therefore, I respond with trust. Another word for trust is faith. 
Are you following this morning? When someone, uh, you receive someone who's pursued you, you begin to communicate and you begin to trust. Well, yeah, he must be from that town. He, he must have gone there. He says he went this way. He says his grandma's name is Florence. I mean, whatever. You trust what they say because you believe in their love for you. And the same is true for you and for me in Jesus Christ. If I can trust, listen, if I can trust the words of my spouse, because I love her. How much more should I trust every word of God? A God who first loved. A God who pursued me way back when. How much more should I read his promises and say, they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Oh, what a day it will be. When we get up there, man, how he says that don't worry, the sparrows, I know them, I've got you. How much more should I trust his word than my, even my wife's word? She's a wonderful person, but she's a fallen human just like me. She can fail me. So how much more, if I trust her and what she says, how much more because of his love should I trust him? It's pretty deep, isn't it? Think about that. Put a pin in that. Because that's really what faith is. It's, I believe he sent his son because he loved me. And I have faith in that love. I have faith in his word because of what he's done. Because we know and believe his love, we trust him. I have faith in what he said. I have hope now in what he's going to do. But if I fail to trust this word and fail to apply it to my life, what am I saying? I'm saying, God, I don't believe your love. I doubt your love. I I wonder if your love is really big enough to conquer that sin issue. God, I really wonder if your love is big enough to provide for my finances or, or God, to heal my heart or my marriage. God, is your love really big enough to see me through the very end of all things? God, is your love really big enough? That's what we do. We say, God, I don't, I don't know. Because isn't it true we often trust people and we're so easily to go to someone and say, hey, I have a problem, I have a problem, I have a problem. Can I talk to you about my problem? It's not good, bad to talk to people about your problem. But you often go to them and want to get counsel from a person and trust what they're going to tell you, and then we doubt this. Is that not true? Come on, I see some head head nods. Yeah, that's true, right? Because I do it. I'm a a person. I do this. I want to hear a person tell me it's going to be okay. I want a person to tell me it's going to be all right. I want a person. But here's God who first loved you, and he's already written everything down for you. He's saying, "I, I love you, so have faith in my love. Have hope in my love. And that changes me. It changes me. When I get that love and I respond to it and I have faith in it, it changes me. And that's faith and hope. We have come to know and have believed His love. The next is we love, John says, because we first love. So let's talk about the third word, love. I have faith in His love, and so then I in turn love. And in fact, you know, when I think about Jesus, He says, Hey guys, this command I'm going to give to you is the greatest command of all. Love God with everything you got. Then love your neighbor as you would love yourself. The two great commands, they're all really one command, but it says, this is the greatest commandment I'm going to give you, and that is because I have loved you, you have to love other people. 
But the Bible also says his commands are not burdensome. John says it in this passage. His commands are not burdensome. And so many people, they claim to know God and his love, but they fail to understand it. And this is the problem. How do I love like this guy? If you've ever been in a relationship and you're just blessed by your spouse, you say, man, how can I ever repay her or him for this Christmas present or this, this gift they've given me? How do I ever repay them or give thanks to them? And, and he's saying, guys, you love because I love. But God, I don't understand your love. It's too big. It's too grasp. It's too far. And God, I can't love you like, like with everything. I don't know how to do that. God, I don't, I don't know how to love people as myself. And it becomes a burden, really, to go to church. I fail more times than I go, or uh, uh, than I succeed, and I fail, and, and I try, and I try, and try. But John says this in chapter 4, verse 7, and verse 8, simply this, that you have to know God and be born of God to love like Him. you got to know Him, you got to be knowing, you got to be born of Him, and if you do not love you do not know God. And like, oh my Lord, I don't love like him and maybe I don't know him. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not going to heaven. How's this going to work? And he's like, no, 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 calm down just for a second. Listen, if you're born of God, you'll love like God. I was talking to Pastor Christian about this today or actually this week. He's got a little baby boy and I've got a five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. And I, I was talking to him and I said, you know, our kids don't even know we love them especially his as young as his is, right? Think about it. We first love our children, right? When, when they're in the womb, we begin to love them. And when they get born and they're crying and crying and crying some more, we love them. We feed them with bottles and change their dirty diapers. We swaddle them. We sing to them. They ain't got a clue you love them. Because I can take that kid and put him with somebody else, and they're going to do the same thing most of the time, right? And they don't have a clue all that you do for them. As a two-year-old or a five-year-old, my daughters don't have a clue what it's like to pay an electric bill to provide for them air conditioning. They don't have a clue all that mom and dad sacrifice or do to love them. Because why? We first love. But what happens then as they get older, as, this, as my five-year-old's getting older, she now knows how to tell mom and dad she loves them and she can hug them and cuddle with them and say, I love you. My two-year-old will come up and say, I love you, daddy. I love you, mommy. You know, and, and they begin to respond in the best way they know how, but they don't have a clue how long mom and dad have first loved. Are you hearing me this morning? We don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. There has no revelation in them. But what little revelation of love they have, they begin to respond with. Okay? Think about this with you and God. What little revelation Ariana and Adelie have, they begin to respond with. And I'm hoping by the time they get 30, they realize what mom and dad have done for them. And we say there's hope maybe, right, for the future, right? And they, they can respond and say, oh, man, mom and dad really did love us. Why? We first loved God has first loved you since forever. And how has that love changed you? How have you responded and what revelation of it do that you have? How have you responded to that first love? And so, think about it this way. When a, well, uh, when a child is born into an inconsistent home, a home perhaps where they're left at different doors, uh, where there's... Uh, separation and broken homes. There's, there's different things. Uh, maybe there's been abuse or people have yelled at them or cursed them in, in different ways. Uh, or they're just totally abandoned. Those children who have known not love, if you look at their 
school credit score, their school grades are going to suffer. If you look at their behavioral pattern, it's going to suffer. If you look at the fear and the anxiety in some of their lives, it's going to suffer. If you look at the way they form friendships, it's going to suffer. Why? Because they haven't been first loved. And so, yeah, sure, a parent can say they can love them and they can post pictures on Facebook and, and, you know, buy them a Christmas present, but that doesn't mean they're loved. Are you with me? But then you take a child who has been lavished in love from the very beginning of their life and had consistency and repetition in this love and continued love and continued love, and you see that child, they're going to succeed. They're going to be well-adjusted. They're going to know how to reciprocate love with their friends, with their teachers, with their future relationships. Why? Because they've been changed by first love. Do you understand? There is something about being born into love. And when you get born again, you have a heavenly Father who has first loved. And what John is saying is like you have been, before you were born into your sin, your father literally was the devil. You had a bad parent. You were broken. You were abused. You were abandoned. You didn't know no love. Your, your life was, was all jacked up. But when you would receive a pursuit of a heavenly father who's first loved, and you get born again, guess what? You're born into love. And all that you know now is love. All that you know. We need to put away our past life and look at what our Heavenly Father has done. And He has born you into love. He has first loved you. He has born you into love. The Bible says He sung songs over you in the night watches. He speaks over you. He dances over you. He is a valiant warrior for you. He is a provider for you. He lavishes His love and grace for you. So all you now know should be love. And that is so easy now for me. If we are born again by the Holy Spirit, it's not that I try to love. My, my daughters do not try to love. Yes, they have to behavioral issues they have to work on, but they are loved. And because we are loved, we then in turn love. We love because He first loved. And if I have a problem loving, and if I think it's hard to love... I need to check and see who my Father is. Because if I am in Him and born of Him and He is living in me and He is surrounding me, then all I should know from Him is love. And my daughters, I hope that they'll be well-adjusted and they'll love other people and it'll be easy for them to love because my wife and my goal is to love them and lavish them in love. They love because we first loved them. And we love because He first loved us. You're born into love. And that's why John would say your, His commands are now not burdensome. And loving like God should be this natural thing. We love because we are loved. And he looks in, look in verse 7 and 8. It says that we prove we're His children. So like my daughter's. I'm using my kids a lot lately. That's okay. They are born into love, and hopefully they in turn will love. And as they grow, they should mature in love. So we're born into love, and then we should mature in love. And John says it's like a parent. Think of it this way. It's a parent that when you, are, uh, you see your kids get older and the things that you've taught them, you start seeing them implement 
okay, I've taught them to share with their brother or sister, and then they start doing it on their own. And now I've been able to, you know, like uh, my kids are set far enough in age now. You know, I see Ari caring for Adley and helping wash your hair in the bath and go and getting stuff for little sister. And that's a proud dad moment saying, hey, I'm teaching my kid how to be responsible and think about others. And you, you know that. And as God looks at you and he sees you doing what he's taught you to do, what do you think that is? Ah, it's a, oh, yeah, they're finally getting it. I'm, they're proving they've been loved. They're proving they've responded to love. And so every time we have a, yeah, God, I did it. Thank you. You know, hey, Daddy, look what I did. I'm so proud. Thank you. He's like, yeah, you're proving you've been born into love. You're receiving love. And now you're giving love away. First John 4, 12, it says that this has now been perfected in us. His love and His discipline, is it perfected in us? First Thessalonians says in chapter 4, verse 9, As to the love of others, or the brothers and sisters in the church, you have no need for anyone to write you about it. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You see, loving others is a natural response to someone who is born into love. And it's a natural response of a person who is receiving that first love. And maybe my challenge, I guess, today for, for myself is, Heath, you know, maybe you're not as loving as you ought to be. And I can say, you know, that's, that's very true. I'm not, as, I'm not a naturally loving person. And so I need to think about, you know, God, how can I love people like you have loved me? And maybe the issue is, God, maybe I haven't really realized as an immature person, like my kids know now, God, maybe I don't understand how much my dad has loved me. And the more I appreciate how much my dad has loved me, then I'll in turn give it back, right? And so you find a person who's not very loving, and you think, man, God, I don't think they know how much you love them. And maybe they haven't responded to that first love, or maybe they're just not born into love at all. And God, maybe, maybe that's where I'm at. Maybe this morning you haven't been born into love. And you don't have that Holy Spirit living inside of you that's really going to change your spiritual DNA. That, man, I, I've been adopted by this God. He's put His Spirit in me. He's first loved me. And now it should be a natural thing for me to be loving in return. Because we love... Because he first loved. We need to be born into love and mature into love. I'm going to leave you with this as the worship team comes, is this. I was thinking about this this morning. This week, my daughters will go to daycare and represent me and how I've disciplined them, right? You worry about that as a parent sometimes. You say, man, I hope I don't have the bad kid in class, right? You know, how many people know what I'm talking about, right? I hope that, they, that I don't, they, you know, because they know I'm a pastor, and, you know, here's those pastor kids. They're walking in the daycare again. Get ready, everybody. I hope that's not the case, but whatever. You know, you do the best you can. But my daughters will not go to school or daycare this week and try to uh, receive my love. Or they won't try to uh, act like me. Why? Because it, it will come naturally. You see, they are not going to go and say, I need to try to be a better Harris this week. Maybe they will when they get older. But right now, they're not going to go to school and think, I need to be a better Harris this week. Well, they're just going to be who they are. 
right? And they're going to hopefully have responded to the words I've spoken over them, the discipline I've given, and the love that I've given. It's a natural thing to be the son or daughter of your mom or dad. Understand? If your mom and dad have done a good job and you have been a good child and received what your parents have given, you will naturally be the son or daughter they have created you to be. Are you with me? And as a Christian, we do not go out from here on Sunday and say, I need to try harder to be a better Christian. You don't do that because you'll fail. What you do is say, God, I have your spirit. I've been born into love. I hear what your voice is saying. I tell my daughter, get off the countertop, get off the table. I'm going to listen. God, I don't want to go there. God, I need to go here. And he's going to tell you every day how to be a good boy or girl of the kingdom of God. And every day he's going to guide you. And every day when my daughters come home, I'll lavish them in love. And as they go to bed, I'll read the Bible stories and I'll lavish them in love. And I'll give them a kiss and a hug and I'll sing songs over them and put them to bed and pray, hey, can we do better tomorrow? Hey, and, and I'm going to challenge them to be the woman of God there I want them to be. You see, they're not trying. They're just receiving the discipline and the love from a heavenly father. That's, that's what we're doing, Right? And so this morning, as you stand with me all across this place, this morning, maybe today you have been failing because you've been trying to do it all on your own. This morning, maybe you are in here and you have been doubting and fearing unknown things. I want to remind you, God first loved you. He pursued you billions of years ago. He knew you. Don't doubt his word. Don't doubt his love. Receive it. Or maybe you're here today and, and you know you want to be better. You know you want to do better. I just want you to learn how to be the child of God he's made you to be. Just receive his love. Listen and obey his word. And just be. Just be. Receive his love because we will love when we're getting in love with that first love. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for your word. Oh God, help us to understand today. Help us to understand today. God, your love.